Welcome to False Flag Weekly News, the weekly news show that tells you all of the preposterous things being done by the psychopaths in power. I'm Kevin Barrett with Dr. J. Michael Springman. Hey, welcome, J. Mike. How are you doing? Uh, good to be here. I am broadcasting from Washington, D.C., the state of confusion. I, I think it's worse than that. I think it's uh, it's it's the source of many of the ills that beset us. Um, and I am far away from that. I'm here in Saidia, Morocco, the beautiful Mediterranean town that is said to have the best beach in Africa. I was testing it earlier today, swimming in the Med. And yeah, I think it's about as good a beach as one could ask for. So what am I doing broadcasting False Flag Weekly News when I could be swimming in the Med? I don't know. But here I am. Uh, we're going to go through all of the hideous happenings that defaced the planet this week. All right, where do we start? I mean, where do you even start with this stuff? Well, I guess you start by sharing the screen, which is what I guess I have to do. So I will hit screen share. And here we are in the slideshow with today's theme image. They've caught the Nord Stream saboteurs, uh, according to anonymous intelligence sources. We'll get into that in a minute. That, this is our theme slide. And uh, we have some PSAs first. Our first PSA, in fact, our only PSA today, is if you like the show and would like to support it, please go to truthjihad.com, which takes you to an obscure Icelandic site. Once you're there, you <laughs> click on False Flag Weekly News, and that takes you to, hey, here we are at our homepage for today. And you'll see a list of about 30 stories that we cover, and the first one is always the fundraiser. We can really use those funds, especially since I'm trying to move to Morocco right now. I could use a little help getting out of the evil empire, the belly of the beast, as it were, uh, I'm sure the beast won't mind vomiting me up out of its belly, uh, and I won't mind being vomited. Uh, so anyway, let's let's uh, can that kind of imagery and get into the breaking news this week. All right, breaking news. This is huge, Mike. Um, the Saudis and the Iranians are having a rapprochement. They're reestablishing relations, and the Chinese engineered it. The Americans think they run the region with their bosses, the Israelis, but not so much anymore. What are the implications of this, Mike? Well, it's uh, really, I think, too soon to tell. The National Public Radio, which can be called National Pentagon Radio, since it gets so much money from the government, uh, was going on and on about how upset the Israelis were and how this was a direct blow at Israel and so on and so forth. Uh, but at the same time, over the past few years, the Saudis have been conducting secret negotiations uh, with the apartheid entity that styles itself Israel. And uh, all of a sudden now they uh, are supposedly exchanging ambassadors and reestablishing relations with Iran that blew up in, I guess, what, 2016, when the Saudis executed Sheikh Nimr, uh, who was a, uh, a Shiite leader in the northern province, or the eastern province, I guess. But uh, it's it seems so strange because uh, they, it's all about Israel and um we have the Saudis, which are a brutal and repressive regime, uh, still engaged in a, a sort of truce in uh, in Yemen, but they haven't pulled out. They haven't said uh, enough is enough. Uh, they uh, supported the Israelis when they were working on um, splitting the Arab world and creating these Abraham Accords to which a number of Gulf states adhered. Uh, so I, I, I think it's too soon to tell. I think the Saudis are in it for their own game, and what they think they can get out of it, I don't know yet. I've been consulting gypsy fortune tellers and crystal balls and uh, haven't come up with a good idea yet. Well, yeah, I think it's good news because ultimately what this means is that the Saudis are getting out of the American orbit, mm -hmm. and 
that I think is beneficial to the region because the Israelis totally control Washington, D.C. They own America. They killed Kennedy. They blew up the towers and did 9-11. They basically took over and they've run U.S. Middle East policy for their benefit to keep the genocide of Palestine going, which has just been drenching the entire region in blood ever since. Now, China doesn't love, they don't like Western imperialism and colonialism and the way this region will emerge after the fall of the U.S. empire, which is clearly happening even as we speak. The Saudis no longer obey Biden, whether he's barking out oil prices to them or what. Uh, so I think this means there's going to be a new MENA region. And I'm not a huge fan of MBS and mm. Saudis in general, but <laughs> let's face it that I think he's done something right by working to establish more uh, autonomy for Saudi Arabia. And I think this is a step towards a peaceful region, which means ultimately the end of the Zionist entity. That's why all of these Israelis are whining and complaining about it and blaming each other. So anyway, I think it's good news. Uh, yeah, the significant thing I think is China's involvement in arranging this. That's, yeah. uh, that's I think, the key. Yeah, yeah. And here's what uh, Bernard at Moon of Alabama points out, that the winners are, number one, Iran, which can now really bust the sanctions. Number two, Saudi Arabia, which can get out of Yemen and stop uh, having this crisis with Iran. And China, by outplaying the U.S. in the region. And finally, Iraq, Syria, and Yemen will become more peaceful. Really, the whole region will become more peaceful if this works out. The number one loser, as Bernard says, is Israel, which has been really pushing its American proxy or, you know, it's wagging its American dog to try to get into a big war with Iran. That's not going to happen now. And uh, the U.S. is being booted out of the region. The anti-Iran hawks have egg on their face. And the UAE is uh, losing uh, some of that sanction-busting trade with Iran because Saudi, the Saudis will be able to trade with Iran again. So it's a new Middle East, and it looks like a better one. Yet another reason for me to move to the MENA region, which is I'm here in Morocco uh, looking at doing. Okay, so here's the, uh, you know, the, the really big story this week was the whole corporate origin thing has totally flipped, right? We, we've always been at war with e- East Asia. We've always known that it was a, a bioweapon, that it didn't jump from bats to pangolins, Right. Right. Well, I just had my YouTube channel nuked for, for saying the wrong thing about this like a year or two ago. And suddenly, uh, the New York Times sent me an email saying, good morning. Both U.S. political parties are now open to the idea that COVID may have come from a lab in China. No. And so now the establishment is pushing the lab leak theory. What do you think about this, Mike? Uh, it's it's a more crap. It's misinformation. It's misdirection. It's uh, uh coming up with explanation after explanation uh, that are generally contradictory. So you don't know what to believe and therefore can't afford, uh, can't form an opinion about what the government is doing. Uh, They've been involved in gain of threat, which is more realistic than gain of function in viruses and how to use them as weapons of war. And of course, uh, the government does not look at this. The the Congress does not examine anything. They simply uh, go in their own direction and play up whatever they think looks good and might get them reelected and don't want to offend the establishment. I agree. You know, the sentence that really jumped out at me here was, uh, but lawmakers displayed bipartisan agreement on one point. The virus may have come from a laboratory in China. Wow. What is, like now it's, it's everybody has to say bipartisan. It's unanimous. Yeah. Everybody now agrees that it came from a laboratory. 
And of course, it has to be in China. It couldn't have come from one of our labs. It could have been a oh, U.S. No. biotech on China now. Could it? Well, yes, it well, could. And here's the place to go to find out about that. The COVID-19 yeah. biotech smoking gun video I did with Ron Unz, which is well over 1 million views. I think it's like 1.2 or maybe 1.3 mm-hmm. or something now. And uh, there's every reason to believe that that's the most probable scenario. And it's also one that nobody is allowed to say because there's bipartisan agreement that it must have come from China. It must be the fault of the Chinese, just like 9-11 must have been the fault of the Muslims. Here's the Telegraph over in the UK. It's a new official narrative that the entire establishment is supporting. Blame China, COVID Wuhan lab leak. Wow, they were kicking people off of social media. They nuked my YouTube account in part for saying this. And suddenly the whole establishment says, that's what you have to say. And now I guess anybody who says it came from bats and pangolins is probably going to be canceled, <laughs> I would imagine. <laughs> but of course, you should be if you're that stupid. Uh, and of course, what they don't say is that all of these U.S. biolabs work hand in glove with uh, this Wuhan Chinese biolab. Uh, and biolabs in the Ukraine to create these deadly viruses and modify them and make sure that they were very, very transmissive. Uh, but that, they, that somehow doesn't make it to the daily news. Well, it, it's kind of hilarious how the Telegraph here says that you know, when COVID-19 first emerged in Wuhan in December 2019, many pointed out that the outbreak was close to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Uh, yeah, uh, the, the China Hawk lobby, which actually was where the attack came from, more or less, uh, was screaming, uh, blame China, blame China, in January, February, and so on. Uh, and, you know, what, what a coincidence. It pops up right next to the WIV. Well, yeah, because if your limited hangout is blame China for your attack on China, you're going to mm-hmm. spread your bioweapon right next to one of their labs, which you paid for and put there in the first place. So, And then in the Telegraph tells us that the lab leak theory should not have been so controversial. Oh, yeah. So maybe they shouldn't have <laughs> nuked my YouTube channel. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. The world was terrified of upsetting China? I don't think so. I think the world was terrified that the truth that this was a U.S. bioattack might get out. And I think that a lot of people are still terrified about that. Well, But now it's, it's unanimous, right? It's, it's definitely gain of function. It's definitely China. It's all of that. Uh, Robert Redfield is on board with this. And so they had the big hearings in Congress this week. And uh, Robert Redfield, the former uh, Homeland Security governmental, I'm sorry, the, the, the former CDC chief, testified to the Homeland Security Governmental Affairs Subcommittee on Emerging Threats, yada, yada, yada. And these hearings are now establishing that, yeah, it's it's gain-of-function research. Uh, totally unanimous. Everybody agrees. But nobody can talk about the elephant in the room, the uh, U.S. Mm-hmm. involvement. Yeah. And all the money the U.S. government put into this from various uh, government agencies, and it was all directed by our great uh, phony Tony Fochi. Yeah, right. And and again, everybody's attacking Fauci for mo- a lot of good reasons. <laughs> and the one thing that nobody mentions is that Fauci, has ba- his job has basically been fronting for the bio war industry for decades. Because when Nixon signed the treaty in uh, the early 70s, ending the official U.S. Army bio warfare program, all of those resources got transferred over into the covert program, which already had been going on, had been attacking all kinds of countries, Cuba, Eastern Europe, uh, et cetera, et cetera, uh, and of course, Korea. And, and then they had to, you know, put put it somewhere where it looked innocent. They said, OK, it's de- defensive. And now it's all CDC stuff. It's all uh, civilian defensive research. So Tony Fauci has been the biological warfare czar for decades and nobody notices that. They, they pretend that he's actually doing some kind of civilian work. No, he's a bio-war czar, uh, or one of them anyway. Um, and, he made yeah. a fortune in the process. 
And he did. Yeah, he, he became the, the highest paid government employee and, and added onto that with all kinds of honoraria and, and all sorts of high, slush fund money and stuff. Well, but you're, you're not allowed to say certain things in this society. You're not allowed to talk about, you know, the truth of 9-11 or JFK or COVID or the Nord Stream pipeline, which we'll get into in a minute. Uh, you're certainly not allowed to mention the U.S. involvement in the COVID bioweapon. And I guess you're not allowed to testify to this committee if you wrote a book about genes, race, and human history, which Nicholas Wade did. Now, Nicholas Wade is a very respected scientist who edited Nature and Science. Uh, he ran the New York Times science coverage, and he published this 2014 book uh, called Troublesome Inheritance on the Genetic Basis of Race. Now, I haven't read it, so I, I have no idea what really whether there's some truth to this claim that there's something quote unquote racist in it, but I really strongly doubt it, Mike, because I've read a lot of his other work. I read his uh, piece on COVID origins and other things. Uh, obviously, what's going on here is that there are certain people who get upset about certain kinds of scientific inquiry. And it looks like the, uh, what's the guy's name here? Uh, Representative Raul Ruiz is one of them. And, and frankly, I think he's an intellectual pygmy compared to <laughs> Nicholas Wade. Well, isn't that true of most members of Congress? I mean, they are incredibly uh, uh, incompetent, but everybody loves their personal representative because he does such wonderful things for them. And I've yet to see anything that uh, the woman in representing D.C. in Congress, uh, Eleanor Norton, or maybe Snorton, uh, has done anything for anybody other than talk. Well, a whole lot of them, I guess, are intellectual pygmies. That's the best I can say in defense of Raul Ruiz. Uh, there have been you know, a few exceptions out through the years, people like Kucinich and uh, yeah. you know, Fulbright was, was a sharp uh, sharp guy. And uh, now a number of others, uh, Paul yeah. Wellstone, he was a little too smart for his own good. But uh, yeah, this guy is a complete doofus and, and going off on this <laughs> racist tangent when this the real issue is COVID origins. It's not whether Nicholas Wade wrote a book that some people find uh, distasteful. Uh, but it's still basically almost certainly a scientific book, not a racist book. Anyway, let's move on to more propaganda pipeline stories and look at the Nord Stream fiasco this week. This was yeah. one of the most hilariously stupid New York Times stories I've ever seen in my life, which is really saying something. Uh, intelligence suggests, what does intelligence suggest me? Uh, Pro-Ukrainian group sabotage pipelines, U.S. officials say. And it's just this waffling mishmash of nonsense and garbage trying to you know blow smoke and, and throw chaff to confuse everybody about the fact that Seymour Hirsch uh, just came up mm -hmm. with a very convincing piece showing that Biden and his minions did this and they practically admitted it and they told us they were going to do it and they did it and <laughs> they celebrated it what else is there to say but well the New York Times is going to tell us that well actually uh some whoever did this they were they were just they had no connection to any, any governments. Yeah. They were just opponents yeah. of Putin. Uh, yeah, yeah. And we can't specify that who, the members of the group who directed or paid for the operation. Yada yada yada. And they, and they claim this is the first significant known lead in the case. So yeah. Seymour Hersh's work is not a significant no, known lead. Hmm. Well, it's just finger pointing Tarantella that oh this guy did it, that guy did it, and you have so many confused explanations as to who did what that you cannot get to the truth of the matter. Uh, and it's, it's very, very clear that the Ukrainians and the Poles and whoever else it was uh, didn't have the technical resources to do this. But the United States military and the Central Intelligence Agency, or maybe the lack of intelligence agency, sure God did. Yeah, they, they certainly uh, had the means, motive, and proverbial opportunity to pull this off. 
and <laughs> told us they were going to do it. <laughs> oh, boy. So the U.S. officials have declined to disclose the nature of the intelligence, how it was obtained, or any details of the strength of the evidence it contains. They have said that there are no firm conclusions about it. Well, <laughs> so they print the article anyway. They print the article anyway, because they have to have something to counter Seymour Hirsch, no matter how stupid, yeah. no matter how meaningless, no matter how empty. I'm talking about a giant nothing burger. This story is, it basically writes circles around itself, right up its own whatever, admitting that it has nothing to say. <laughs> it's well, it's it, tied to the propaganda that the U.S. has been pushing about the wonderful superior Ukrainians who are beating the hell out of the Russian Federation. And, uh, People were saying, well, saying, well, why are we giving them so much money? And here it is, they're doing all these wonderful things. Oh, geez. Yeah, yeah. What's what's wrong, Mike? Uh, it's Almeidine's calling me. Oh, well, tell tell him they have to wait till you're done with the show. Uh, okay. So, all right, can new... I call you back? I'm in the middle of an interview. Okay. Well, you know, Mike, while you were on the phone with Almeidine, I think I just solved the case. I just got ah. the specifics on the perpetrators. Those are the ah. guys, those three guys with their SS Minnow did it. Uh, three XUP special ops guys, you know, using M80 firecrackers, uh, waterproof ones, mm. of course, snorkels and swim fins. Then uh, they got ran by a Russian sub and had to limp down to the Mediterranean ah. for repairs in R&R. &R. And uh, the cover story was a three-hour tour out of Warhol, <laughs> Denmark. <laughs> it was all financed by Thurston Howelsky III and yada, yada, yada. So this was my little... Uh, uh, contribution to, you know, if the New York Times wanted to do something a little bit, you know, with, with some details, right? Something a little more credible than what they actually published, they could have borrowed my piece here. But for some reason, they didn't. Well, that's closer to the mark. It makes more sense than what the New York Times wrote. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I find that it's pretty easy to do that. Uh, for some mm. reason, I, I'm not getting a big journalistic salary, but uh, it's. I, I think I'm, I'm running circles around New York Times, as are you and everybody else in the alternative media. Well, Seymour Hirsch also thought this was pretty hilarious. He said, oh, I thought it was Somalia or Nepal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the mainstream media was totally silent here, as uh, this particular uh, piece points out. Uh, nothing from broadcast networks, nothing from uh, press. Uh, Seymour Hirsch, the greatest investigative reporter, made totally mainstream New York Times guy, mm -hmm. no, nah, he doesn't matter anymore. He's just a blogger, they told mm -hmm. us, if they even mm -hmm. mention it. So, yeah, so much for uh, <laughs> for, for our, our me mainstream media. It's completely gone now. Uh, so where do we turn? Well, maybe uh, Press TV. I think this was the Press TV story pointing out that Ukraine. <laughs> uh, no, we didn't do it. And Russia's correctly pointing out this is all a big red herring. And over at RT, uh, Russia Today, they're pointing out that the CIA issued advanced Nord Stream warning to its allies, just like U.S. intelligence warned of the COVID-19 bioattack on Wuhan back in November of 2019, when nobody could possibly have known that there was a problem in Wuhan except the people who created the problem. Uh, that's the bioattack smoking gun of the video I mentioned earlier, that million view video I did with Ron Unz. Uh, so once again, here we have American intelligence sources warning their allies that something bad's going to happen, and then doing it. <laughs> and, of course, you've got the Germans who are investigating this, but they won't release their findings, and uh, which kind of raises a red flag to me, at least. Uh, if you're going to investigate something, why can't you publish the report? Well, the German government is remarkably obsequious when it comes to dealing with <laughs> Americans and Israelis and, oh, yeah. and Zionist Americans and people like that. 
so yeah, here here the uh, the CIA was was basically you know telling telling us it was you know a sort of pre uh, what it was it, predictive programming for mm. the allies, just like the COVID thing was. Oh mm. boy. And again, this is actually sourced to the Wall Street Journal by way of Russia Today. And I'm glad we can actually get Russia Today here in Morocco. When I stopped at the Charles de Gaulle Airport in Paris, France, I was unable to access Russia Today. An error message came up. So it's Mm. totally censored there. Oh, man. Uh, So much for the free world. And moving on to Moon of Alabama. Uh, Bernard always has something, uh, something worthwhile to say about these types of things. And he points out the problems in this new story that it was just some private group that hated Putin and was sort of pro-Ukrainian, nothing to do with the government there or any other government. Uh, and they were off on some sailboat, right, with, with scuba equipment, you know, even skin diving equipment or whatever. Uh, Bernard points out that, no, they would have needed uh, really uh, serious equipment, the kind of stuff that only special ops guys would have. Mm. And uh, so obviously this was a special op thing. And, and Seymour Ursh's account still rings true. Exactly. Okay, and there's uh, so people can go there, of course, by way of our list of links at the False Flag Weekly News homepage. Go to that uh, homepage and find the links, read the story, see if you agree or not. Moving on to more on Eurasia news. Wait a minute, I thought we'd always been at war with East Asia. <laughs> uh, I can't keep it straight now. Uh, so Bakhmut may fall. I mean, uh, even NATO is now admitting that. So for once, we're spared the incessant refrain ukraine is winning (laughs) russia is about to collapse putin is dying of cancer the russian people are rising up against putin even though the polls show 80 percent of them love putin and i don't know well for once now they're telling us the truth which is bad news yeah bachman's gonna fall says secretary general jen stoltenberg Um, videos of the Wagner group uh uh yeah. yeah Yep. And uh, uh, Zelensky is admitting that the Russians could go to Kramatorsk. They could go to Sloviansk. It would be an open road for the Russians after Bakhmut. Well, this looks pretty bad uh, for the Ukrainians, and even the American mainstream media is admitting it. Um, but what's it, what the Americans may have something up their sleeves? That's what Larry Johnson thinks. I doubt it. They've got the Wagner Group doing a great job of uh, collecting dead Ukrainians and shipping them home in boxes. I've seen videos of that. Yeah, well, that's obviously right now the uh, Russians are totally on the offensive uh, in, and they'll take Bakhmut probably mm-hmm. this week before next week's false flag news with Cat mm-hmm. McGuire. Uh, and we'll probably have to report on that next week. But down the line from there, what are the Americans up to? Is NATO bluffing or is it beefing up forces to back in a Ukrainian offensive or, or actually participate in a Ukrainian offensive? That's the question that Larry asks. Larry Johnson is a pretty knowledgeable uh, military and strategic commentator, and he points out that something big is up. They're taking the tail numbers off the planes, sneaking them over there. Uh, U.S. troops are building up in large numbers on Poland's border with Ukraine. There's no military exercise to justify their presence. So it looks like there's a possibility that the American side is not going to accept defeat, and they might get into a shooting war with the Ruskies, as Dr. Strangelove had it. And it's not going to work too well because there is a supply line stretching from the United States to uh, Nazified Ukraine, and the Russians are right there on the border and have a vast uh, reserve that they can call up to fight these American invaders. So I, I think it's going to be a disaster for the Americans. Oh, Especially come on. They got the tanks painted in sand camouflage. 
it's easy to invade Russia. I mean, Napoleon <laughs> proved it. Hitler proved it. Yeah, right? exactly. You know, onward to Moscow. Uh, let's go to Moscow or must go to Moscow. Is that, uh, that song by John Cale? Uh, anyway, uh, somehow I don't think that that worked out too well for Napoleon, Hitler, or maybe it won't work out so well for Biden either. No. Uh, but that doesn't mean that they're not stupid enough to try and do it. Uh, uh, or that they are they the main focus would be an assault on Crimea. So the Americans might you know think that it, well certainly the Ukrainians might think that to take the world's attention off of this disaster at Bakhmut they could try to score some wins going after Crimea. But if they actually ever had any success uh, attacking Crimea, the Russians would obviously use strategic nukes minimum <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and we're on, our, you know, on the highway to hell. Or yeah, it's, it's a threat to the existence of the Russian Federation. And right. Putin has told them repeatedly, this is the ultimate line. You cross this and we will hammer you. So if the Americans are seriously going to try to invade Crimea, which is what Larry's suggesting here, that's completely insane. And you know, there are those like Phil Kraske who came on my radio show to discuss his article, uh, he thinks that this whole thing is one big buildup to a U.S. first strike on Russia. Now, you know, we're not at the pay grade to know whether the American mm. top leaders think that they have that first strike capability. Mm. But publicly, the Russians don't seem to think so. Uh, and with the hypersonic weapons and such, somehow I doubt that the U.S. could get away with a first strike on Russia without losing, you know, 20 or 30 million Americans yeah. tops, Mr. President, as Dr. Strangelove put it. And I would like to think they're not that insane, but you never know. Well, the Washington Post this morning had an article on how there are no defenses against the Russian hypersonic missiles. And they're horrified at this and, and insisted that the Russians didn't have too many more. And then there's there are submarines with uh, radioactive tidal wave weapons that can supposedly create these what, like seven, 800 foot high tidal waves that can t completely take out coastal seaboards and render them radioactive. Mm. Uh, there are, of course, some heartland Americans who might say that it wouldn't be a bad idea to wash out the uh, coasts, get rid of those mm. coastal elites. Uh, Putin, please <laughs> set off that radioactive <laughs> tidal wave weapon ASAP. We're sick of those coastal elites. <laughs> but the rest of us uh, wouldn't go that far, I hope. <laughs> so let's hope it doesn't come oh. to that. Okay, we're, we're we're all on the same page there. Uh, a bipartisan agreement that China did COVID and that radioactive tidal waves hitting American coastlines is not really that great of an idea. Uh, how about India and Russia trading in uh, rubles, not dollars? Wait a minute. Even Reuters, the Rothschild publication, you know, the Rothschilds run the Western Bankster Empire, so dollar dominance is their, their deal. And even they are now admitting that the dollar's days are numbered. Uh, well, what's the number, Mike? How many more days does the dollar have? I don't know, but I tell you that the uh, the number of U.S. dollars outside the United States is a fantastic amount of money, and nobody can really agree on how much it is, but they call them euro dollars, which is separate from the, the euros. And uh, a lot of central banks hold these things, and the United States exports them uh, through its uh, massive deficits and... Uh, uh, differences between exports and imports so we're we're importing a lot more than we're exporting so uh these dollars are floating around and, and choking the world and I, I think it's a good idea that they trade in something besides a dollar that's continuing losing value indeed and so the ruble's doing pretty well 
uh, the economic war in Russia was supposed to totally collapse the Russian economy and force them to surrender, but that hasn't happened. And one reason is that most of the world has increased its trade with Russia and is getting out of dollars to do it, to beat the sanctions. Uh, and if you look at this graph, India is the prime offender from Washington's mm. point of view. <laughs> look at the, that uh, bluish green uh, graph or bar is the uh, increase in 2022. Mm. And so India, China, Turkey, Italy, and the UAE have all uh, yeah. greatly increased their yeah. uh, purchases of Russian oil cargo, uh, even though the Americans are sanctioning it. So the, this whole uh, anti-Russian sanctions program is really falling flat, maybe even yeah. more than the anti-Iran one did. So, and uh, Reuters is admitting it. So uh, how, how about Matt Getz in the war huh. on Syria? This was great. I, I thought that it was good news to see the left and right, the progressives and the America First people agree that we should stop stealing Syria's oil and just mm. get out. Uh, common sense coming from both sides of the political spectrum. Unfortunately, it's still a minority in Congress. Well, he's also the guy who's a target of uh, Democrat journalists whom I know, and they are viciously hammering him for all sorts of wickednesses. Uh, including sexual ones, uh, but here he comes out and, and uh, puts the uh, uh, the money where his mouth is and says, "Look, you know, what reason do we have to be in Syria, killing people, having Americans killed, and stealing their oil?" And that that's too uh, too rational for the rest of Congress to grasp. It's kind of a man bites dog story. American yeah, politician yeah. makes sense for once. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, let, let's hope that that thing can build. You know, the, the uh, those. Uh, Dem the uh, anti-war demonstrations in D.C. Uh, was it two weeks ago uh, were trying to unite the left and right and the rage against the war machine demonstrations. And it looks like they may have had some effect because now certain parts of the left and the right in Congress are actually waking up to this. Uh, so we'll see where all that goes. Meanwhile, Global Research just published a great piece by Michelle Chosadovsky on the possibility that that horrific earthquake in Turkey that killed something like 50 million people or more in flattened whole cities was a uh, weaponized earthquake, uh, an unnatural one. And it quotes the head of the Turkish space agency, Sardar Hussein Yadirim, saying that they have an earthquake weapon that consists of these metal rods, eight to 10 meters high, and they're dropped from a satellite and pen they penetrate the earth uh, with a sharp point and go uh, deeply into the earth and create a seven to eight magnitude earthquake. So it sounds like he's suggesting that that's what happened here. It was interesting that this earthquake hit immediately after the NATO countries led by the US evacuated their uh, diplomatic missions, pulled them out of Turkey. It was a big kerfuffle with Turkey and then suddenly boom, the earthquake hits. So I think Michel Chosadovsky is asking good questions here. Well, he's asking questions, but he's also pointing out that there's no real hard evidence behind this. Like this, this metal rod, ten meters long. Uh, you know, can you really target that thing that precisely from a satellite? You sort of dumping it into the atmosphere, and it can go anywhere. Well, and no, I, I don't think so. Because Bob Bowman, the former head of the uh, Space Weapons Program or SDI under Ford and mm -hmm. Carter, was actually a friend of mine because you know, he, he got jumped into the 9/11 Truth Movement back in the day. Mm -hmm. And he told me about this stuff they had back in the 70s that could pinpoint, with pinpoint accuracy, they could drop what they called artificial meteorites on uh, on the enemy uh, weapons, uh, missile silos. 
So they were they were able to drop stuff from satellites working on pinpoint accuracy, at least in the 1970s. So mm. I'm pretty sure they could do it now. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, I, I love to actually win an argument once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I, I agree with you, though, Mike, that obviously Chastovsky doesn't have any hard evidence and he admits it right up front, but he yeah. goes into all of the background reasons to, to be yeah. suspicious. And obviously it's, this is why we need some kind of international protocols to get this kind of stuff under control. All of these advanced weapons technologies, whether it's AI, whether it's bioweapons, whether it's uh, space-based weapons, all of this stuff shouldn't be completely anarchic, out of control, each country doing uh, crazy stuff, hoping yeah. they can yeah. get it done before the other country because this yeah. is a recipe for disaster. Mm. How about the propaganda and censorship industrial complex news for this week? There's more than uh, enough of that. There usually is. Well, this week, uh, the censorship industrial complex story broke with Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberg testifying before Congress, and then they wrote about it, and I just picked up the C.J. Hopkins uh, kind of half-satirical <laughs> rant about what took place just because it was a really classic C.J. Hopkins piece. Um, and he, uh, C.J. can't believe, he, he thinks he hallucinated these guys were testifying before Congress. Uh, <laughs> he, he couldn't believe his eyes. Um, and then Stacey Plaskett uh, insulted and smeared and baited them, trembling with hatred, accusing them of being part of a Substack-based death squad. The post quote, this is a direct quote, poses a direct threat to the people who oppose them. Wait a minute, who poses a direct threat to the people who opposes who here, guys? I think it's the censors who shut you down and deplatform you, shut down your YouTube account like happened to me, shut down your fund, fundraiser, your, your go f me account which happened to me uh these are the people the people who shut you down silence you and censor you they are the ones who pose the threat to the people who oppose them not those of us who simply want to speak our minds you're talking about prostitutes that repeat the the governmental line and, and trying to influence what you're thinking i guess yeah and, and i guess if, if you say you know, you say what's on your mind and the establishment doesn't like it, you're guilty of homophobia and anti-Semitism and January yes. 6th and threatening our democracy. Woof, woof, woof. Uh, sounds like a rabid dog here, uh, Stacey <laughs> Plaskin. Uh, anyway, this is a fun piece by C.J. Hopkins, highly recommended. And speaking of, of propaganda and censorship, let's go to the looniest propaganda story of the week. And this is kind of a, uh, it, it's always tough uh, to choose one, but this week uh, it wasn't. Uh, uh. Iran is gearing up to attack Britain and the West. Okay, Iran, yeah, it's a big country. It's, you know, it's moderately powerful. It's like maybe towards the lower end of the top 10 in the world. I mean, yeah, it's important. But wait a minute, gearing up to attack Britain and the West. Iran, with, you know, 100 million people, is going to invade the entire West with, like, what's it, a <laughs> billion or whatever. <laughs> I mean, come on. They're not even anywhere near us. How are they going to invade us? So you oh, read the story. Yeah. So, it's, Mike, what, what was the threat they were talking about here? I was trying to figure it out, and I read the whole story, and I still can't figure it out. It made no sense to me whatsoever. And all I know is that Iran hasn't invaded anybody in the last couple of hundred years, so I'm not sure why they want to attack Britain, uh, except that Dishi Rishi Sunak and his rich wife uh, are making all kinds of problems for everybody in all of Britain. Well, but, they have uh, all those little little defensive speedboats in the Persian Gulf. Maybe they're going to like yeah. somehow pile an awful lot of fuel into those speedboats and, and take a long speedboat tour like through the Suez Canal and Mediterranean or maybe even all the way around Africa and all the way up and, and then invade Britain. They're going to come up the Thames and just like that yeah. God, the Sex Pistols doing God Save the Queen on the Thames. You're going to come up the Thames, uh, you know, shouting death to America, death to Israel, death to the Queen. <laughs> we need it, man. <laughs> 
Oh, well, I mean, it, that, that's an indirect way of getting at, at reality, I think, uh, that Britain is antagonizing the rest of the world, as is the West, and, and somehow the Iranians have to bear the brunt of it. Well, after reading this story, I guess you know, the only thing I figured out that they were talking about was was uh, they claimed to be so worried about the Iranian nuclear program. <laughs> well, so what? You know, it, it, so Israel has 400 nuclear weapons. Yeah, Even I worry about the program. Right. Yeah. So who cares? I mean, if, like, why is Iran having civilian nuclear power? And maybe, you know, even if they had a few weapons, why would that be any more of a threat than Israel, the psychotic genocidal entity having 400, mm-hmm. or the U.S., which isn't much better, you know, having thousands, or than Russia mm-hmm. having thousands, including, like, nuclear, you know, tidal wave things. I mean, yeah. the, the whole idea that Iran is so scary and dangerous, I mean, they just made up with the freaking Saudis. They're, you know, the people they were at most loggerheads with for good reasons, yeah. right? The Saudis did bunch of nasty things, killed Sheikh Nimr and so on. But the Iranians are very reasonable and always willing to negotiate. They kept their side of the JCPOA bargain. Yeah. The Americans yeah. didn't. So they're going to gearing up to attack Britain and the West. It doesn't get much stupider than that. <laughs> okay. Let's see what we find. The Strauss, Straussian, you know, I, I think what's really going on here, of course, the Straussians, followers of Leo Strauss, believe in the big lie. And so this, that's what this is. It's, it's just like, yeah, you know, Iran to invade the entire West. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't get bigger or stupider than that. The Straussians uh, this week got exposed by none other than Thierry Maison, who wrote about the coup d'etat of the Straussians in Israel. And there's a huge kerfuffle going on right now in the Zionist entity around these so-called reforms, which are going to sort of redo the constitutional or non-constitutional basis of governance in Israel and so on, and basically make it more of a lawless place, which is the kind of place the neocons like. At least mm-hmm. that, I think, was the gist of this article, as I understood it. Well, I mean, the, the Israelis have been uh, out of control since their Ill- illegitimate creation in 1948, attacking the United States repeatedly, murdering American citizens like Rachel Corey. Uh, and uh, somehow uh, nobody questions this, but when they question it themselves, oh, my God, the uh, Israel is going to collapse. We won't have any freedom here. Well, I don't think there's much freedom or democracy in an occupied Palestine, which is, I guess, another term for Israel. Well, according to Thierry Maison, it's going, it's going from bad to worse because Israel already was kind of lawless in certain respects. But basically now they're pushing through a sort of a Patriot Act style uh, thing to become you know, even more uh, a country uh, ruled by pure power with no uh, legal restrictions on it. And that's what all these people have been demonstrating about. They were demonstrating at the airport. And so when Lloyd Austin showed up, he couldn't get out of the airport. So they had to <laughs> go meet him at the airport. Uh, so so Israel is, is kind of freaking out and melting down as this ultra extremist government takes power and proceeds to try to dismantle what little legal infrastructure undergirds the Israeli system. And all of this doesn't really bode very well for the future of the Zionist entity. I think they were gearing up for a big war with Iran, and that's now fallen through with the Saudis uh, making up with the Iranians. And so I think mm-hmm. the, uh, the Zionists are, are very unhappy. This was a bad week for them. Um, and it's uh, it's always a bad week for us in the USA with leadership like this. Uh, mm-hmm. And here's Sam Husseini reminding us that Joe Biden uh, has lied about the fact that he, he actually supported the Iraq war, and he's lied and said he didn't. And Sam says we should remember that as we come up to the run-up 
of the March 2003 invasion of the, the anniversary, 20th anniversary of the March 2003 invasion. It's coming up, what, a week and a half from now or something like that. Uh, so Joe, Joe uh, Biden, yet another liar in chief, uh, no more honest than Donald Trump, maybe in some ways worse. Well, when has the butt nugget ever told the truth? I mean, he he contradicts himself and you wonder whether he's stuffed or whether he's some kind of animatronic creation made by Walt Disney. Yeah, I, I think he's just kind of a, a two-bit gangster who's been promoted beyond his level of competence, according to the Peter Principle. <laughs> Uh, although I, I don't know, he's, you know, you don't need that high level of competence to be a, a front man in the USA these days. So, what, what's our topic here? Official escort? Who's the official escort? Well, Q Shaman had an official escort. <laughs> <laughs> footage that Tucker Carlson was handed uh, shows us that this Q Shaman character, who was sentenced to what was it, three years or something in prison for entering the Capitol on January sixth. It turns out that the cops let him in, escorted him around, basically gave him a tour of the Capitol. It was a big photo op. And so he was totally set up. And now he says his only regret was that he thought that when the police opened the door and ushered him inside, that it was okay to go in. <laughs> yeah, I would have thought that too. Well, the Washington Post hates this. He hates, they hate Tucker Carlson. And they don't seem to realize that this guy was made up for his, his 15 minutes of fame on television. I mean, no normal person wears things like that unless you want to get uh, the attention of the, the so-called news media or the sleaze media. I don't know. It's kind but, of hilarious that, that, you know, dressing up like that somehow casts him as such a terrible threat to our democracy <laughs> that we have to imprison a thousand people for going into the Capitol on January 6th. And it's all based on the sort of emotional impressions that people get when they look at a picture of this guy dressed like, what the Buffalo Bill, you know, or I don't know what it is. Uh, <laughs> like, why is that so scary that some lunatic you know, dresses weird and gets escorted through the Capitol by police? I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but for some reason, uh, uh, here's the uh, political cartoon about it. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Public radio has been really hammering on this now for ever since it happened. And I, it, it's gotten so tedious. So it's kind of good to see that Tucker has finally uh, shown us all of this. Paul Craig Roberts chimes in in this story, which is at his website, also at the UNS Review website. So yeah, Kevin McCarthy handed this footage to Tucker Carlson. Roberts thought maybe it was some kind of a setup that, you know, because he doesn't trust Kevin McCarthy, nor do I, but it turns out looks like it was the real footage and uh, looks like this is going to undermine the prosecutions of some of these thousand people. Yeah, it should. Indeed, it should. Yeah. And it's not just the conservative usual suspects who are saying this, uh, mm. but also uh, some liberals. Uh, Chris Hedges wrote a great piece this week on mm. lynching the deplorables. And he compared them to the Muslims who became suspects after 9-11. Yeah. He cited some you know, expert who's been defending these Muslims who've gotten rounded up for being Muslim, basically, since 9-11. And he says now, instead of the Muslims, it's the conservatives. And it kind of does remind you of that uh, that classic quote of, you know, first they came for the Muslims and then they came for yeah. the conservatives and so on and yeah. so forth. But yeah, so shout out to Chris Hedges for uh, being honest about this. Well, exactly. I mean, you've got uh, the uh, these people went crazy. I was in the barbershop watching this on television and they were ranting and raving about insurrection and overthrowing the American government. Yet uh, not too long ago. The news media didn't cover the uh, the black racism black racism matters and Antifa riots uh, and uh, arson and uh, general insurrection and looting. 
that was just simply swept under the rug once uh, they showed some of it on D- on TV in Washington with the cops standing around in Georgetown watching looters pulling stuff out of a bank. So uh, it's uh, it's basically uh, pure propaganda. Yeah, and it almost seems like they're really trying to exacerbate the left-right polarization, which yeah. is weird because the establishment is always complaining about it and, and, and whining about it and saying, oh, we've got to stop being so polarized. But everything they do seems to be geared to exacerbate it, whereas it's yeah. these yeah. You know, marginal guys like Chris Hedges who dissent. And, and mm. uh, you know, he's Chris Hedges is very far on the left, but, mm. you know, he's not uh, delusional like some of these people. Speaking mm. of which, how about this piece by... Uh, Oh, what's her name? The uh, Atlantic magazine author. I'm, I'm spacing out on her name, but it was a very forgettable piece, uh, except that it was so bad <laughs> that it makes you, uh, I almost want to sit down and analyze this piece. Okay, so it's about the new anarchy claiming that horrible left-right, red-blue polarization is destroying America, and she compares it to the anarchist violence of the turn of the last century. Uh, the killing of uh, President McKinley, uh, and and it's got this interesting history lesson here uh, with Luigi Galliani being given his due for sparking these uh, anarchist bombings and such. However, what we're not told in this article uh, is that there's a strong case that many of these events, if not most of them, if not really pretty much all of them, including the anarchist bombings back in the day were all orchestrated by the security services or the worst elements of the biggest violence was orchestrated by the security services as a pretext to crack down on genuine and not so violent social movements. Uh, exactly. And and she doesn't admit that Gladio was behind the Bologna uh, train station bombing. You know, this, this article makes a huge deal about this terrible bombing in Italy during the years of lead in the 1970s you know, and 80s in, in Italy, when these radicals were at each other's throats, the left versus the right, just like now, just like the Proud Boys versus Antifa, except it was Italy back in 1980. And, it, and because these people were so violent and extremist, especially the right-wing ones, uh, that's why all these terrible things happened. This terrible bombing happened, yada, yada, yada. The Aldo Moro kidnapping. Well, wait a minute, guys. Uh, it's been proven seven ways from Sunday that Henry Kissinger ordered the Aldo Moro kidnapping and presumably murder. Aldo Moro was... Uh, taking Italy into an alliance between the, uh, the the Social Democratic Party and the communists. They were bringing the communists into the government. Italy was going to go neutral in the Cold War. It was going to leave the U.S. orbit. And to prevent that, Henry Kissinger ordered the kidnapping and presumably the murder of Aldo Moro. And it was done by United States black operators working through their proxies in the stay-behind armies, the Operation Gladio stay-behind armies that the U.S. had set up after World War II to uh, fight against anybody who tried to get these countries out of the American imperial orbit. And it's been, again, proven by Daniel Ganser in his great book, Daniel, uh, NATO Secret Armies, fully peer-reviewed and vetted that this train station bombing was carried out by the United States of America and its proxies. And there's not a hint of that in this article. Uh, yeah. How stupid are these people? Do they Are they this stupid or are they just pretending to be? Well, they're both, I guess. Uh, they they certainly are united in in trying to pull the wool over the American people's eyes and prevent them from learning about what's really happened and and who's done what to whom and the background uh, sanctioned by the highest levels of the American government. 
Yeah, there, there's really a kind of a left-right uh, agreement or entente, or call it conspiracy, to not tell the truth about these things, even when the truth yeah. is just staring at you in the face with his best-selling book, NATO Secret Armies. And there are others as well. Paul Williams' book, Operation Gladio, is another must-read book about this issue. Um, so anyway, that's uh, that's my take on this idiotic uh, Atlantic magazine article by the woman whose name I forget. Moving on to... A woman whose name I'll never forget, Naomi Wolf, a very interesting, provocative, lively writer. Um, her letters to a young patriot actually had a couple of pages about me and my yeah. academic freedom struggle for 9-11 truth at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Uh, Naomi Wolf is a left-wing feminist that I like. I, I really appreciate and, and respect her. And uh, here she is apologizing to conservatives for being taken in by all this J6 nonsense. And now she has finally realized it's nonsense. I guess she finally decided to watch Tucker Carlson and, <laughs> and looked at the footage and said, oh, my God, <laughs> the cops were giving the Q Shaman a tour of the Capitol. And then they arrested a thousand people. Oh, so great. Good work. Naomi Wolf. That was a great piece. It was. Yeah. So Naomi, Naomi Wolf and Chris Hedges, these two you know, seriously left left wing people yeah. are saying this. You'd kind of think that some other left wing people would notice. But of course, they've all been herded together into the brainwashing pens. Well, we've gotten to the getting towards the end of the show, and we have some history lessons to impart. This week, there were some good stories on history lessons. One was Mark Gaffney's piece on the JFK assassination, pointing out it was a Zionist coup. And he came to that view thanks to the book I translated from the French, uh, Laurent Guyanot's from Yahweh to Zion. So great work, Laurent. You're making converts. And Mark Gaffney is, is a, a good guy. He's done some really good work on 9-11 as well on the, uh, the E-4B flying, uh, the, the, the flying presidential command post aircraft that was circling the Pentagon when the Pentagon was attacked on 9-11. Mm. And I believe that was Mark who did that work, and he's done some other good stuff, too. So he really hammers Lyndon Johnson and ties him directly to the Kennedy murder. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Johnson was heading straight for prison, and if Kennedy mm. hadn't died real quick in November 1963... Uh, Johnson would have spent the rest of his life in prison rather than going into the White House. So mm. no wonder he was you know, practically high-fiving on the Air Force One plane as Kennedy's body was being flown back to be butchered at Bethesda Naval Hospital. But yeah, I, I, I'm totally on board with that. I mean, I, how can you not see that Johnson was part of this, whether or not he was a mastermind? But also he was an Israeli agent as well. He was put in power so that Israel could, number one, uh, crank up its nuclear program, which Kennedy had shut down, and number two, invade its neighbors in 1967 and get some Lebensraum that it felt it needed. Those were two existential issues for Israel. The only way to get that done was to put their men in power in the U.S., and they did it. And I think mm. Laurent has done great work on that, following in the footsteps of Michael Collins Piper. So <laughs> nothing to add to that. We'll move on to the Thomas Merton case. Uh, and so here's Phil Nelson. Uh, who's also written about Johnson's uh, work uh, uh, as Johnson is the mastermind of the JFK assassination, which I think might be an overstatement mastermind. I don't know, but uh, involvement, absolutely. Uh, so Phil Nelson here has done a really good review of this great book by, uh, by DC Dave, uh, Dave Martin and Hugh Turley on the martyrdom of Thomas Merton. And I've read that book. I, I have that book. I highly recommend it. Thomas Burton was an anti-war Catholic priest, a great mystic, uh, one of the leading religious thinkers of his time, best-selling author on everybody's bookshelf, on everybody's lips. And then he turned against the war in Vietnam, sort of like Martin Luther King did, and the same thing happened to him. 
they took him out and uh, they didn't even do it subtly. It's totally obvious to anybody who looks at the actual facts of the case. Well, I found that article hard to read, and I tried to read some of Thomas Merton's stuff, like Seven Story Mountain, and I found that very difficult to get through as well. In that case, I'm not going to give you my copy of uh, even Arby's work. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Thomas Merton. Well, we'll have to differ. We finally found something to disagree with. I, I love Thomas Merton, and I think the Seven Story Mountain is, is highly readable. Uh, and I also love Daniel Ellsberg. Uh, he mm. came on my radio show a while back, you know, on. You know, I'm a pretty notorious guy. I was even a little more notorious back when he came on my show. And I talked to him on the phone. I was given his phone number by Gabriel Day. Uh, shout out to Gabriel if you're watching. And uh, I, I like Daniel Ellsberg. I, mean, I never really got him to grab the 9-11 thing uh, or much less the COVID bioattack thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think he's basically a, a really good, uh, decent guy. And so here's a tribute to him at the uh, World Beyond War website. Yeah, I met him briefly once and didn't have much of a conversation with him. Uh, but this is a uh, uh, a good uh, list of all these good qualities, but regrettably doesn't expand on it enough. I would have liked to see a little bit more harder information other than saying he's just a good guy. Yeah, it's true. It's basically, he's, he's a good guy. <laughs> he's a good guy in this, that, and the other way. And yeah. yeah. So, uh, well, of course, that's because he's he's just announced that he's been diagnosed with terminal cancer. Yeah. He's not expected to last more than six months. So if you're going to say something nice about Daniel Ellsberg, you might as well say it now while he's around to hear it. Uh, although maybe you'll hear you from the other, the afterlife as well. Our yeah. prayers are said to get through to people in the Barzakh, uh, but we might as well uh, start early. <laughs> How about the Pilgrim Group? This is another history uh-huh. lesson on MH17, right? Ellsberg gave us history lessons on everything, from the Pentagon Papers to the nuclear command program, which uh, he, his revelations on that were even much more important than the Pentagon Papers. But here's the MH17 history lesson. Turns out Kit Clarenberg here is writing about the Pilgrim Group, a group of special forces vets, UK-based, who essentially took over the media coverage of the MH17 case, which was a false flag. That plane was shot down by the by the Ukrainians in order to try to blame the Russians. And, exactly, yeah. 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 And he, he ties them into this belly cat outfit, which is another propaganda uh, media or medium, I guess, for... Uh, uh, pulling the wool over everybody's eyes and giving you a, a selected uh, version of reality. Yeah, yeah. Bellingcat is this, yeah, the other uh, British intelligence linked outfit that's designed to essentially propagandize and brainwash the public on these kinds of cases, whether it's the Skripal poisoning case or the Syrian weapons of mass destruction, mm-hmm. uh, the Sir- Syrian uh, 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 chemical weapons or yeah. MH17 shoot down. Uh, these are the types of people that will come in there and try to make sure that the false flag gets established and blames the wrong party for propaganda purposes. Mm-hmm. All right, enough history lessons. Let's move on to the biology lesson. What's the biology lesson? The biology lesson is that uh, that <laughs> men are getting the Women of Courage Award. <laughs> okay, uh, whatever. Yeah, no, it's 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 apparently true. This was who 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 was it? Uh, yeah, Jill Biden. Uh, I guess Jill Biden's going to get the Man of the Year Award. Uh, her husband certainly is. <laughs> so she's giving the Woman of the Year Award to to the guy. And <laughs> Twitter he's is from Argentina, too. That's what kills me. I'm sorry? He's from Argentina. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. An Argentinian uh, man of the woman, man of the year, whatever. Um, <laughs> so happy Women's Day, folks. Uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, somebody here in Morocco actually said something about Women's Day. I didn't even know that anybody here noticed it, but uh, apparently they do. Um, and uh, I guess we'll have to shout out uh, Happy Women's Day to everybody. And finally, our, our last story of the week. 
is this is another of these man bites dog stories where the football players are prove themselves wittier and smarter than the class clown. And, you know, the dumb jocks were never smarter than the class clown at the high school I went to. But then we didn't have Aaron Rodgers and David Bakhtiari playing on our football team, unfortunately. Uh, so the backstory here is that uh, Aaron Rodgers said something about Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, <laughs> and then Jimmy Kimmel, the comedian, uh, called Aaron Rodgers a tinfoil hatter. And then David Bakhtiari, who's on Rogers' team, has been blocking for him all these years, uh, responded with a tweet. So let's actually hear. I think I think we can actually play this. This is going to work. Uh, tell me if you can hear this. Oops. Come on, play, play. Get, you getting volume there? No. You hear, uh, okay, wait, wait, wait. Okay, we're going to have to quickly uh, fix this. All right. Okay. Uh, maybe we can go back to the screen share. And we can click the little box to share the sound, and we go back there, and you can actually hear this now for yourself when we play it. Did you hear about the Epstein client list uh, about to be released, too? What's that? What are you talking about? There's some files that have, have some names on it that might be uh, getting released pretty soon. Oh. Oh. <laughs> might be time to revisit that concussion protocol, Aaron. <laughs> Why are the people laughing? They should be laughing at Jimmy Kimmel or booing him, uh, booing Jimmy Kimmel off the stage. Jimmy Kimmel's running cover uh, for the sexual, crazy, immoral people that visited Epstein Island. I, I watch <laughs> that and think, I-, I wonder if Jimmy Kimmel's on that list. <laughs> Jimmy Kimmel yeah. is a bought and paid for celebrity. He's a psyop. Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> Love you, man. I, I just can't, I can't believe what an Aaron Rodgers fan I've turned into. So that uh, Jason Whitlock guy uh, sounds like uh, he, he kind of knows what's what. Mm-hmm. And so do our viewers here at False Flag Weekly News. Um, back from Morocco next week. I just, I'm just starting to get over my jet lag. Now I have to mm-hmm. fly across the ocean again. And I'll be jet lag again next week. Same time, same channel, God willing. Um, and Mike, thank you so much for fixing your audio. You've had perfect audio today for the first time yes, in ages. Excellent. Mabruk. I'll tell my, my tech expert. Well, I always enjoy being on the show and then uh, throwing in my two cents worth of sarcasm and uh, nasty thoughts. And now we can even hear, you know, 100% of your words instead of only like 95%, <laughs> and you're even better that way. So thank you so much, Mike. Thank you to our viewers and supporters, and God willing, see you all next week. Okay.